Listening Dog Media. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The Offside Rule. We get it. Brought to you by a Wolves fan, a Manchester United fan and a Liverpool fan. Hello and a very warm welcome. It's episode two of the new season here on the Offside Rule. We get it. And to bring about the change of season, we've got a change of lineup. Every other week, we'll be inviting Mina Rizuki into the hot seat. Well, not the hot seat so much, the bench, the bench of trio. Uh, but South Cape Borsay and Lindsay Hooper here, as always. It's quite exciting, this new podcast, Lark, isn't it? Yeah, new season. And Mina, the very first new voice since we started. So everyone who's got used to hearing Kate Haley and I, you're now going to hear more of Mina over the course of this season. Uh, no pressure. Yeah, absolutely not. <laughs> Talk about baptism of fire. We're going to throw you in there. No. We, we, we basically uh, accelerated you into a lofty position here, Mina, where you get to sit on the bench with Lindsay and I as we discuss all things football as we do every single week. But what's coming up on today's show? Well, Different Strokes, I've called this, which is a bit of a weird title. I do apologise. Um, basically, weird, <laughs> unusual places or situations or times that you've watched football. This has come about because of the introduction of Friday Night Football in the Premier League. It took a bit of getting used to it. wasn't the best game either, was it? Villa, Man United. Not perhaps the best way to start off Friday Night Football. But I am excited about it. And one thing I really hope is that it encourages local fans to go and see the games after work. It is going to be the big thing of next year. They're, they're actually just testing this out, aren't they, this season? So we will see more Friday night football for the 2016 season. But... Wow, I quite liked it. And it's quite a European feeling, isn't it, this watching football in the evenings? I know we've had Monday night football, but to be honest, everyone here in the UK is normally so tired on a Monday night after getting back to work and that it sort of becomes one of those lazy nights watching football. But Friday nights, it's a different thing entirely. Well, it just means that everyone's social life is going to take a hit, really, because you're going to want to stay in now on a Friday night (laughs) and you're going to want to watch the football. But yeah, it's a very European thing where you have it in Italy, you have it in Spain, you have late night games that start at nine or that start at eight, eight. And, and now we're finally getting to have that in the Premier League so everyone can see something special. 
It's all good, isn't it? Uh, Our second topic today, we talk about coming back from the brink. Clubs who are recovering after having a poor time financially or as an organisational thing. And there are several teams out there who we think are coming back from the brink. Financial rewards in the Premier League are going to excel from next season. So there's a lot more cash to play for as we go up through the leagues as well. We're also going to have a quick catch up with you on Syria. That starts this weekend, Mina. So let's plug into your knowledge and find out what we need to know before the Syria season gets underway. And we're also going to be getting the awards in early. This is for those of you who like a flutter, possibly, but don't take our word for it. I want your nominations, girls, for who by the end of the season will be top goal scorer, golden glove holder and have the most assists by the end of the Premier League season. Let's first of all digest a little bit of the weekend because we can't ignore the fact that we offer a unique insight in terms of behind the scenes, whether you're covering a match, Lindsay or Mina, whether you're getting lines from Europe or from what's going on in Europe that we're perhaps missing out on here in the UK. So let's digest the weekend quickly. I know Lindsay, you were at Swansea. I spent a lot of time at Swansea. I think I had something like eight or nine hours there in total, which on a match day, most people don't spend that amount of time at a club. That's because I had to get there early doors. I was doing a behind-the-scenes feature, what happens on a match day at Swansea City. But it was fantastic to go and do and, and really go into the brand-new changing rooms. There's There's been a lot of changes in the media suite. The tunnel area has changed. So I got to go and take the cameras to see that behind-the-scenes for, for a show that I work on. Um, I met a lovely lady, Sue. Eames, who's their kit manager down at Swansea, and she's been there 21 years. I like that female kit manager. Yeah. I bet she tells them off if they get too many skid marks on their shorts, <laughs> doesn't she? Oh, oh my life. That is External skid marks from the, the mud on the pitch, not, not the other kinds. <laughs> oh, good. Because that was an awful image that I just had. Poor Sue. Who wants that job? Um, no, actually, she was, she was brilliant, and she was talking about how she's been at the club for 21 years and was with, with the team when Gary Monk was a player. Oh. And now, of course, he's a manager. So she's gone through the whole Gary Monk episode. It might be nice, actually, to, like, to be you know the, the female kit manager because you have like a maternal feel to it, which you wouldn't maybe have any other mm. way. And she's seen everyone grow up and she can offer them different insights, I guess. Trust me, she's not just the kit manager. She is the boss. I mean, that's what <laughs> Gary Monk refers to her as the boss. So um, I think she has a lot more to say around the ground. In fact, the referees came. There was, a, there was a little bit of a debacle before kickoff because of the technical areas and there's some new rules that all the match managers have to follow this season in terms of area size and who's on the bench. I think you might have clocked onto that this season already. Um, And she was right in the the thrust of the talk. So I thought, yeah, there she is, Sue. Uh, Obviously, Sue Swansea. Think Swansea, think Sue. (laughs) And if we look back at the weekend's results, there are always some that stand out and some that we might offer some more insight on as well. And we're looking at benchmark results here that might set the tone for the season. You'd hope not at this stage, but you can't ignore a result like Man City 3 Chelsea nil, can you? And not also because of Mourinho's further weird comments after the game. But you're pleased for Manchester City, Mina. I am. Well, firstly, because I, I sort of laughed a little when Pellegrini came out and said, well, we always dominate Chelsea. We may not have gotten the results, but we always dominate Chelsea. <laughs> so it was a little bit of, you know, you can think that you win th- stuff, but we're still the highest scoring team and we're still important. And I think after everything that this man has gone through, and I'm not, the squads have never been that balanced, his squads. Mm-hmm. And his centre-backs, you know, they've brought in Mangala, who didn't work out as wonderfully as they thought. They haven't been excellent. And yet he's really tried and, and he's been hovering under the shadow of Pep Guardiola coming in and even you know Samra came out from Bayern Munich who's their sporting director and said ha we told you this isn't happening they've obviously extended his contract because Mm -hmm. Pellegrini is a good coach just give him some time so there's it's nice that they've started so well it's nice that you can see some sort of 
um, cohesion going on with the squad and how well that they're doing and all their players coming out. And, and you just feel a little for the coach because he's had to deal with so much and he started the season so well. Mm. And you hope that he'll carry it all the way through just because he is someone who can make the impression and shouldn't sit there and have to look at whether or not anyone's going to come and steal his job. It would have been so easy, wouldn't it, for City to get rid of him at the end of last season, citing lack of success in the Champions League, citing the fact that Chelsea got the better of them. And so for them to stick with him says a lot to me. There must be some good vibes going on behind the scenes. And I like the way that he it kind of quietly is able to get on with his job, whilst Wenger and Mourinho and Van Gaal, to a certain extent, are all fighting against each other. And whatever has changed must have changed behind the scenes, because it isn't the personnel, is it? I mean, OK, Raheem Sterling came in, but there hasn't been that much transfer activity at Manchester City so he is still working with what many people had deemed the old Crocs mm. but suddenly Vincent Company looking very strong mm. again and uh, I don't think you can ever ignore a magician like David Silver and what he brings wow. to a team I absolutely love him one of my favourite yeah. players he looks so good he looks so good I mean even the likes of Kolarov was doing played such an exceptional game and Sanya and, and he's he's reviving a squad um, I did think it was quite amusing though if you looked on the Chelsea website their match report from the game <laughs> yeah, did you see hilarious. that they said two late goals uh, otherwise to a narrow Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Always, always look at the positives, even if it makes you look completely blind. Why not? Um, Good old club websites. Um, All right, well, that wraps up a little bit of what's been happening at the weekend. Don't forget, you can check us out on Audio Boom, iTunes, on our Twitter feed, at Offside Rule Pod, which is a place of great debate and a bit of bounce goes on there. I hate the word bounce, but I'm going to use it. Why not? And our website, OffsideRulePodcast.com, where you can see the fantasy team that we set up, New Boys United. How are we doing? I I I haven't dared to look yet. In fact, I don't think I'm going to be looking until the January transfer window, but basically, Mina, you'll be getting involved in this as well. We've set up a fantasy football team of complete debutantes. Um, all that I can say is Andre Ayew was a good pick from me. <laughs> yeah, Andre Ayew was fantastic mm. at Swansea at the weekend. Brilliant player. I spoke to him post-match. Scored, obviously, in both of the first two games. Great speaker as well. And he was, he was just saying about how he loves scoring headers. So I think we're going to see more headers from him. Um, I, I think that Igalu will come good as well yeah, my, my yeah. little tip I there. think so too I had to add some subs in so I hope you don't mind and Hayley also but I just had to at will choose five <laughs> extra players <laughs> forgive me if I've chosen any clangers um, alright uh, let's get into the first big topic of the podcast we're getting in early basically if anyone likes to flutter or if you want to try and uh, look at who might do what this season well we're going to throw our tuppence into the ring so briefly ladies I'd like your nominations and um, a reason why Lindsay I'm going to pitch in here as well because if anybody from a betting company is listening to this podcast right now this would have been a great opportunity for you to invest a little airway and we would have mentioned your company and the odds that these would have been right now I'm putting that in there such a business room isn't she so wily well top goal scorer I wonder what odds you would get right now across the board for who we're going to put forward I'm going to go with the obvious one on this I don't think we're going to get much past Sergio Aguero this season. I have looked, I wanted to go for somebody different, but I do think that the top goal scorer will be Sergio Aguero. He is a top, top striker. We know that. Um, he's getting interest from around Europe, as, as Mina will verify, I'm sure, in a second, that you know he is one of those players that the rest of the world is sitting up and taking notice of what he does. I thought, had Harry Kane continued in that form that he showed at the end uh, of last season, he could have been a potential Christian Benteke going to Liverpool really excites me, but I just don't think he'll be top goal scoring material. Costa with his hamstring. I think you're absolutely right on that. He was a top goal scorer last season, um, Aguero as well. So, Aguero! 
you're going for another season of him, Mina. You can't overlook him. He's uh, he's world class, and I think he's probably one of those top five players in the Premier League that you just look at and you just think, wow, this is the reason why I watch this league. But I'm going to go for Benteke just to be different, and I don't want to copy you. Um, <laughs> but uh, also largely because if the if uh, if these are the kind of linesmen that we have in the Premier League, then there's every chance that he can continue scoring the goals, mm. even when others are offside. So. I've gone for something a little bit different as well. I've gone for Olivier Giroud because... Yes. I have, because he needs to have a good season, right? He's been fits and starts of performance. No, I'm not an Arsenal fan, but I wanted to do something a little bit different to Sergio Aguero. And I had a look at the teams. I thought, do you you know what? There isn't a huge amount of striking talent at Arsenal, so he's going to get game time. He has to get game time. I know they've got strong midfield there to provide the balls in and obviously a lot of their midfield are going to have to chip in with the goals as well of course they are I don't mean to rain on your parade but you have heard the big rumour of the day that Benzema is going to go to Arsenal isn't it well, listen, Benzema isn't... I think so. I just don't see that happening. Well, I see it happening. Well, that's it, been yeah, rumoured for ages. That, that's been, and, and, and... Gino Perez's baby. I mean, I can't imagine the president letting him go, but I never, I never know these things. I don't think that Benzema's going to give you your out-and-out goals. I'm gonna, I would go on record <laughs> right now. No. I would, hang, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. First season uh-huh. in the Premier League for okay. Benzema, okay. okay? Playing the way that Arsenal play. Okay. I don't see him achieving 25-plus goals in his first season. I agree, he's a phenomenal player. I love him as a player. Will he do it in his first season with the way that Arsenal play? Mm. I don't think so, and that's okay. why. But do you think he'll get more than, than Giroud? Well, yes, hang, if, if they're both there. And Oh, <laughs> do you know what? Do you know what? Just to stand by my point, I'm still going to go for Olivier Giroud. He's in, he's due a good season, he's been flirting with it for quite a while. He is a good player, and he's shown... Real little glimmers of that recently, okay? And I think this is his season. My second pick, had I not gone for Aguero, which I think will be the top goal scorer. All right, well, listen, we've gone with Aguero, we've gone with uh, Olivier Giroud for me, and we've gone with Benteke for you, Mina. Let's go to the Golden Glove. Who are you going to give this to? I guess when we're talking about best goalkeeper, we have to, we can't overlook Thibaut Courtois. He is by far, he's the, you know, I remember watching the game between PSG and Chelsea and thinking, I feel so sorry for PSG that they're up against this goalkeeper because he is just, I mean, in the end, they managed to win that game, but he's magnificent in every way possible. And I think he's genuinely one of the top talents out there in the world. So other other than him, I really can't see anyone else doing the kind of, I guess there's always Joe Hart, Well, Joe Hart got it last season. Well, you never know. Also, there's also Czech now with Arsenal. Maybe he'll be able to do something different. And their defence is quite, if they can get that together, it can be a quite strong defence. So I'm interested to see. Okay, Lindsay, who's your Golden Glove going to? I think Joe Hart could be a real contender, actually, continuing on from Mina mentioning him. I know he won it last season. For for the love of me, I don't want to go for two Manchester City players. (laughs) And as I went for Aguero for top goal scorer, I will go elsewhere. I'm going to go Lucas Fabianski because I think it will potentially, I think it will potentially be a team that finishes between maybe fifth and ninth that gets the top golden glove. Because... I think you're going to have a team that could be a Crystal Palace, Southampton, a Swansea that's going to keep quite a few clean sheets this season. But also going into a camp for Golden Glove, you have saves, a number of saves. I, I just I think that Fabianski has elevated to a new level now. And um, Arsene Wenger always spoke very highly of him. It's interesting mm. now that he is at Swansea and getting this opportunity. I'm just, just going to go for it. That's my wild card one, but... 
I'd like you, I'm going to go for Thibaut Courtois. And it's not because he's just an amazing goalkeeper. It's because there is room for improvement there. Fifth in the charts last season in terms of clean sheets. So there's something for him to improve there. He's very definitely Chelsea's number one choice now. There's no question now that Czech's gone. Chelsea's defence does concern me a little bit, particularly when Terry was subbed at half-time. And of course, they're rumoured to be going after John Stones. But I trust Mourinho to get his defensive lines right. That's one of the things he's always very, very certain of. So I'm going for Thibaut Courtois as well. Uh, let's quickly mention most assists. Last season, Cesc Fabregas, who have you gone for this season, Mina? I'm going to have to go for David Silva. So since I went for Benteke, that way I'm trying to cover as many different as possible. But there is something about David Silva, and especially in that game against Chelsea, the way that he moves between the lines and how he just reads the game so beautifully. If he's on board and you have someone like Aguero up front, then I, I think that this is, could be the man. I'm going Alexis Sanchez. Uh, from Arsenal I think that he not only is a great goal scorer he provides so many goals if the big question is I've taken a gamble on this if this move for Benzema or a big striker comes in (laughs) they will need that supply and um, if you want to go with Kate's prediction of Giroud being the top goal scorer (laughs) don't laugh (laughs) sorry um, then I think he he again will be getting those balls fed from Alexis Sanchez Mm -hmm. the speed that he has the sight that he has in his game I just I love watching him as much as I love watching David Silva I looked at Sanchez but I think he'll score more than he'll provide I'll agree with you on that one as well it's funny that no one mentioned Meza Ozil Mm. well yeah he's definitely a contender but I've gone for Santi Cazorla he doesn't put a foot wrong for me he's a great influence and actually an often underpraised influence in that Arsenal side Um, and for me uh, he'll provide more than he'll score although he's of course capable of scoring Breaking news, everyone. Stand by your beds. This is Jim White. You can download the Offside Rule podcast this very day. Well, as we head around Europe, the league's getting underway. Syria starts this weekend, Mina. Um, quick tip for you, Juve, your team won it last season. You must have been overjoyed. Are they going to do the same again this season? Who's the main competition for them as far as you're concerned? Well, it's going to be a little bit more difficult considering they lost three three leaders and that includes Pierlo Tevez and, and Arturo Vidal. But they've bought well. And I have to say, as much as Inter and Milan have spent a lot to try to close the gap, I think they'll take some time to really balance the squad and find their identity to offer real competition. So once again, we're looking at Roma being the serious contender for the title. It's about whether or not psychologically they believe that they can do something special. It's still Juve's to lose, in my opinion. Um, I think the likes of Lazio will drop off. Napoli could be an interesting prospect now that they've changed from Benitez and, and brought in Maurizio Sarri, who's this is only his second season in the top flight. But uh, so far, so good. Everyone's seems to be really on board with him. They love his communication skills. He's got. He's given them a real identity. We can never disregard Fiorentina as well. Um, they lost Montella, Vincenzo Montella at the time in very strange circumstances and brought in Paolo Sousa. You saw that game against Chelsea in preseason. <laughs> they have been magnificent under this man who led Basel to the title. So it's going to be actually exciting because it, we've started getting a little bit bored of Juventus winning it. It's become a Bundesliga situation, I guess, with Bayern. Um, so it's it's interesting how many have now sort of invested mm-hmm. and overspent to try to make this a competitive league. So certainly one to look out for this season. Players in, obviously Juve, we've got Kadira, Mandzukic. Mm-hmm. Um, who really excites you across the teams in terms of uh, who's made the transfer over to Syria pre-season? 
Oh, well, there's Ed uh, Jacko has mm. arrived at Roma, so that's yeah. going to be very exciting. He's gone on loan, hasn't he? Yeah, yeah. he's gone on loan, and um, which they can make permanent. And they've also got Mo Salah, so it's a whole Premier League vibe mm. to that, um, which is interesting because I think Roma's going to have probably the best attack in Serie A, if I'm very honest. It's whether or not that they have the best defence to, to cope with the, with the kind of goals. But that's a very interesting thing to look at. Manzukic, actually the best buy, I would say, is, is a lad called Paolo Dybala, who arrived at Juventus from uh, Palermo, who cost something around the 40 million mark. Um, he's young. A lot of people were scared, and I'll be one of them that said, oh, I'm not sure that 40 million is worth for this player. We have no idea if he's going to really make it at a big club. But so far, so good. He has been sensational for them. He really has the way that he reads the game. He's already scored on his debut. So this is uh, this is one to look out for, mm. in my opinion. Inter's made so many progress, although they've sold Kovacic now to Real Madrid. Um, but they're, they're covering quite nicely, and, and they've gone in some interesting players, as do Milan, who have spent so much money on Baca from Sevilla. Mm. And... Um, and now Romagnoli from Roma, 30 million centre-back. So it's a very interesting... They've mm. just spent so much money now. I have to see what they do. Yeah, should be an interesting season. Will the power of money win out or can they rely on the structure at those clubs um, and at the players already there? The female take on football. Back from the brink. Now, this is uh, something that uh, Syria clubs have um, endured. <laughs> Mina's, Mina's laughing because, of course, uh, there is a huge history of coming back from the brink in Syria or getting into trouble full stop. Um, Lindsay, we're going to involve you uh, in on this as well. Financial rewards, £5.1 billion that TV deal was worth. If we cast our mind back a little while ago to the new deal from uh, 2016 to 2019, I think it is, which uh, means that there's a tremendous amount of money floating around. I think that... The, 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 the kind of bottom win or bottom take home for a club in the Premier League from next season will be something like £97 million. So that's the least. Just looking at distribution rights um, for UK and abroad, so not even taking into account any other competitions, you're looking at a bare minimum of £97 million. So huge amounts of money at stake next season in the Premier League, but we're looking at what's happening now and in other leagues as well as clubs get themselves back in form and really paint a picture of inspiration. Lindsay? Well, the team that I've chosen have got a lot to do to get to that Premier League money. I'm not sure it's coming anytime soon. <laughs> However, I would say they are back from the brink because last season, the season before and even the season before that, many people writing off Coventry City. In fact, the fans themselves were having to make a trek to a different stadium in Northampton rather than to the Rico Arena. But things are getting back on track. Not only are their team playing back in Coventry, but also, they can actually put to bed, this is without taking into consideration the fantastic start they've had to the season, but they can put to bed all the financial misery. Because um, only a few weeks ago, uh, the limited company, Coventry City Football Club Limited, uh, which once held the club's football league's golden share, as it was called, has finally been dissolved. That's been dealt with. So that's behind them. You take that away, all those financial burdens, all the, the misery surrounding the club in terms of finances and what was going on off the pitch, and suddenly, on the pitch... It's flourish time. Mm. Tony Mowbray at the helm, who I think is a really good manager. It pains me to say it because he was once West Bromwich Albion's manager. But Tony Mowbray, I think he is a good man to lead this team forward out of out of this league. 
you start and you look at um, in League One, they played Millwall, uh, who have only just dropped down from the championship. Now, I know there is going to be a bad hangover from Millwall's relegation, but still, the quality of players they have, the riches at the football club, they've got a great stadium. You'd think they'd be a real, real contender against the likes of Coventry to get all three points, but it couldn't have been more one-sided in the other direction. Um, Coventry beat them 4-0. Not only that, Raiders Johnson, who Tony Mowbray actually was harassing over the summer to get him back to Coventry City, a defender that he wanted to get the defence right. That's something that Tony Mowbray is famous for, isn't it? Make sure you get the defence right. And he's brought that player back in at Coventry. And it's made a world of difference. They've got off to a 100% start. No goals let in. It is that sort of momentum that's going to lead Coventry hopefully up the league. Now, if they get promoted or not from League One, I don't know. But I think this is the start of something good for Coventry fans. So good news for Coventry fans after many seasons of uncertainty. Mina? Actually, I'm going to go something based on my holiday this year. (laughs) So I was in in Napoli recently and I think their story, and every time I think about it, it's just, it's such a great story. I mean, when we're talking back from the brink, if we're talking about financial collapse, this is a team who in 2004 were declared bankrupt, who had debts up to 80 million, um, who... It's such a historic club that once housed Maradona and he led them to a title into Europe. And this was this is just a huge club who represents the south of Italy. And that's such a, a huge issue in terms of identity, not just the fact that this is you know, this is south of Italy, where usually we're so used to the Milanese club and then Torino and, uh, uh, you know, Juventus and all those in the north winning something. So... 2004, they they financially collapsed and declared bankrupt. And in walks in this uh, movie director, uh, Aurelio Di Laurentiis. He pays 30 million for the honour of of taking this team on board. What does he do? They have to start from scratch in Serie C, which is the very bottom, and work their way up. And within four years, they were back into Serie A. And uh, by 2011, 2012, they were in the Champions League, looking to sell the likes of Edison Cavani for 63 million euros. And when you look at that, it's just, it's on, in eight years, they went from financial ruin, bankruptcy, and the whole name, they even lost their name, to eight years later, they've qualified for the Champions League. They're playing the likes of Arsenal. They've got now the likes of Iguain playing for them, and Rafa Benitez was their coach. And it's amazing to see how much that they've progressed. Great news for Napoli fans as well. I'm going to cite a whole nation when we're talking about this. And that is women's soccer in the US because it's come back from collapse twice now, actually. The league in its current form is the NWSL. um, But that came about because of the collapse of the... WPS and before that um, the Women's United Soccer Association as well. So this is um, a league and a country that's been used to seeing women's leagues collapse again and again and again. It looks like they might finally have it right though because after the suspension of the WPS and that was internal wranglings, that was owners not meeting deadlines in terms of payments to um, to the league chiefs over there and that was a lot to do with paying players too much money. I don't think they had a salary cap. If they did have one it, it was absolutely massive. So what you had was a league hugely every team living beyond their means without any hope of ever establishing a financial position where they could start to balance the books. Now, the NWSL has been created. That was established back in 2012. And look, most teams are still in the red now. But what they did is they set about a league structure um, where it was supported from both the US um, uh, FA, both Mexican FA and also the Canadian FA as well, who 
partly pay the wages of the players. Each player is allocated in kind of a draft system. And those three countries get involved. So it's for the good of those countries' international teams as well. And we've seen this come into fruition with the performance of Mexico. Okay, Canada wasn't great at the Women's World Cup, but the USA won it. And it's because this league system is so strongly backed and each player is back from an international point of view as well. They've really thought it through. Follow us on Twitter at Offside Rule Pod and like our page on Facebook. Simply type in the Offside Rule We Get In. There's only one of us. Quick one to end on here. I've called it different strokes. I don't know why. What I mean is just different situations, times, places that you've watched a game of football. This is after Friday night football was introduced in the Premier League. I hope to hear lots of reports, people at the pub watching the game, but also local fans getting involved watching the game after work as well. I think it could bring about um, a really good thing for Premier League clubs. Uh, Mina, a couple of strange places that you've watched the game. Um, well, I'll tell you one. It was in 2003 when I was living in Madrid at the time. I was a student and obviously I was supporting Italian football and it was Champions League semi-final between Real Madrid and Juventus. And I went to this little bar filled with Madridistas, all these Real Madrid fans, all these Spanish fans. Even Some of them weren't even fans of the club, but they were supporting them for the Spanish identity yeah. and all of that. And I was a Juventus fan. So I sat there thinking, I'll be really quiet because I was pretty much accepting the fact that we're going to lose this match. This was double. Boschke is one of the greatest teams at the time. And and then, of course, <laughs> there was just this magnificent game that that the Italians played and Del Bosch came in a few tactical errors at the time, especially in midfield, and they won the match. And I just couldn't help it. But every, when the goals went in, I screamed. And then they all... Everyone must around. have looked at you yeah, and exactly. gone, what? <laughs> Who is this imposter? And, of course, I'm, I'm very small, so it doesn't help that I'm pretty much, you know, like, bordering on, like, I'm practically a midget at this stage. No, you're not. <laughs> and so I, when I just remember turning around and I saw these group of guys who, who just looked at me and I thought, right, this is the time to make a run for it. And I was like a student trying to find the tube station. I thought, this is not the time to take the tube and ran into a cab and just got, just got out of there. But that was a really funny memory. But you, when you support a team, you cannot, for the life of you, restrict yourself when something really special like that happens in a Champions League semi-final. Hope you smiled your way out of that one. I remember the uh, 2002 World Cup in Japan and South Korea. I was working in a bar, not as a cocktail waitress, but pretty much. <laughs> and um, and it was my job to open up this particular bar. And my boss thought it was a great idea to show the games live. Very early kickoffs, some of them. So we're talking like having to get into work for kind of. I think I think some of them were sort of seven o'clock kickoffs, which was when you're working in a bar is a really early get up. Um, and I opened the restaurant um, for a particular England game. I can't remember which one it was. And I was in the hissiest mood ever because a huge amount of people had got wind of the fact that we'd opened up our bar really early in the morning and we're all demanding eggs benedicts fry ups uh, bloody marys all kinds of things off me it was just me working with with my boss working in inverted commas but really sitting down with all his friends watching the football i had the biggest mood on ever because i wanted to see the game yeah i was running behind the bar running down to the kitchen serving people food just in just in the massivest mood ever i think i was probably tired it was very early but lindsay will vouch for me that I, I am quite like I don't mind working hard I'm quite a reasonable person no. I'm quite fair I don't often have a full-scale hissy and on that day after that shift I had a full-scale hissy <laughs> I said to my boss you're meant to be supporting me we're meant to be working this together I wanted to sit down and watch a bit of that game as well I think he was like what on earth is she on because I'd never stepped a foot out of line but that nearly broke me I'm going to whistle through some some just observations that we've had over the 
the years of watching football. I, I will mention, though, similar as Mina mentioned Champions League football, the very first time the Champions League final, Kate and I were on a flight to Canada, weren't we, yeah, this summer for the yeah. Women's World Cup. And it's the only time I've ever missed the Champions League final. I remember being sat a couple of rows behind Kate and her family secretly trying to get my phone on so that I could check the score, which, of course, is against the rules. And I was trying to keep it quiet, but, you know, putting the aeroplane mode on uh, secretly at times. Um, but, yeah, I found that re- really making me unsettled at times. So I just wanted to know what the score was. Um, a couple of other examples. I remember as well, again, with Kate, but when we were in Brazil, do you remember when we saw some some kids playing football in the favela and we realised yeah. exactly why Brazilians are so good at football? Because they have to play in such tight margins. If they lost control of this ball, we Look, didn't we? It would have dropped about a thousand feet. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It was on the cliff edge type football. And if they didn't keep it within the restraints of this, you know, half collapsed down building, that was it. So in order to make the England team better, what I'm thinking is we do high rise, we get them at the top of the shard, <laughs> put some football up there, and if they you know, you can't kick it over the side, suddenly you'll see them being much better and tighter controlled. Women's football, let's talk about random places to watch football. I think this is a random place, it's a genuine place, it's still going on. Widness Stadium to watch yeah. Liverpool ladies. A state Stadium which houses rugby league. The Vikings is all over, you know, the signage. It's an AstroTurf. I, I hate watching women's football being played on Astro. I hated it during the World mm. Cup as well. I think it's got to be grass. We're, we're all lovers of, of the beautiful game. We want it on beautiful, nice, seamless grass. And finally, Wolves. I, I remember at my students' union watching Wolves in the playoff final, which would have been 2003. Um, the year that I was in my finals, I got a final year project to hand in. And I just thought, I've got to go and see this game. It doesn't matter about this project. How often are Wolves going to be in the playoff mm-hmm. final? Mm-hmm. So they're at Wembley and I've got this huge deadline for my coursework to be in. And we win and we get into the Premier League and I'm celebrating all night. And then I realise at 2am, oh my God, <laughs> I've got to go and write this essay. So I wrote it very quickly and submitted it the next morning. Um, I remember watching uh, at, um, God, this was ages ago, Euro 2004, showing showing my age. I remember bizarrely being in Greece, watching it in a school hall because there was nowhere else to watch it. We were in the middle of some outpost in Greece, middle of nowhere. The only place to watch it was in the school hall with another English woman who kept saying repeatedly, Frank Lampard couldn't hit a barn door. And that's, that's, the, that's the overriding memory that I've got in my head of Euro 2004 was Frank Lampard couldn't hit a barn door. Of course, she was talking complete rubbish. But there we go. All right, we're going to wrap things up there for today. Mina, welcome back on board again. We're going to be hearing from you every other week. I hope you've enjoyed it. Oh, I've had such a terrific time. Thank you for having me on. We look forward to loads of insight from Mina, Premier League and further abroad as well. Lindsay, myself, you and Hayley back next week. The Offside Rule We Get It is brought to you by Continental Tyres. Sports Social Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.